Welcome back to the Discovering Forestry podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Lofi, alongside Arbor Jet Joe Aitken, here for another compelling conversation about trees. Joe, summer's in full effect. People are having fun. How are you doing? You know, what's funny is that I'm doing good, all in all good. It just, it seemed like we used to always have a lull the beginning of this quarter. End of July, August, it gets warm. We slow down, regroup for the fall. But I just, I, I'm not seeing a slowdown, Corey. Still booming, still bumping. Things are going good. Um, had some good conversations this week with uh, the Michigan DNR forest health specialists. Uh, they're doing their aerial surveys right now for gypsy moth. And I was wondering why I haven't been getting any calls on it. And even statewide, it looks as though the gypsy moth population crashed. No kidding. So what they do is they write, they write down coordinates that were hot spots, And then they send forest techs in there to do a physical evaluation. And we're going to try to figure out what is it? Is it, was it a good, healthy, wet spring that, the fungal pathogen thrived and took them out. Um, so we're trying to figure out why uh, they just dropped like that. So a lot of good things going on. Um, bugs are still out there. Diseases are still out there. But interesting. Like I said, I thought we would. I thought we would slow down and um, get a chance to take some more vacation or some days off. But I just don't see it. We're shoot. You and I are planning for a trip to California at the end of the month. For God's sakes. Yeah, that, that's right. To all our, our listeners, especially those on the West Coast, we will be in California just outside of Oakland at the end of July. So if you want to know more about that, shoot one of us a note and we'd love to sit down and talk some shop, talk some trees with you. I know the, the, the Pacific Northwest, just outside of Portland, Oregon, uh, they just found emerald ash borer last week. So We'll, yeah. I'll be making a trip up there, and I know we have a bunch of listeners up there. So, yeah, I don't think the slowdown's coming anytime. anytime. You know what's funny is that at, at, when you said that, I was looking on on social, and there was a post about Emerald Ash Borer in Oregon, and there's this guy looking at this enormous tree pointing like it's a de-exit hole. And I'm looking at the bark. I'm like, dude, that is not an ash tree, brother. You might want to you might want to brush up on your tree ID, but <laughs> what is I was, you know, I could make a smart ass comment online on social, like, dude, you sure that's an ash or something like that. But I knew that you're going to go out there and you're going to make it all right, Corey. But that was not an ash. It looked more like a silver maple bark or something. I'm like, dude, that is not an ash tree. And if there's a D exit hole in it, you, you might have another invasive insect you might want to tell somebody about. <laughs> oh, that's all awesome. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is all good. And I know. I know our our guest who's going to come on tonight. We actually studied at, at UW Stevens Point, University of Wisconsin at Stevens Point. This is this has got to be, geez, a decade ago. God bless. Um, but anyhow, I'm sure he could. He would be happy to take a trip up to the Pacific Northwest and help teach people about trees too. So, with without any further ado, I'd like to introduce and welcome to the podcast Eric Olson of Legacy Forest Management from Wisconsin. Eric, welcome to the podcast. How are you tonight? Hey guys. Hey Corey. Hey Joe. Doing great. Staying, staying cool. Staying out of the heat today, man. Was it? Um, well, you're. Were you? Are you out of Wisconsin, right? Northern yep. Wisconsin. Yeah. So. so northern Wisconsin, we do a lot of business in western central Wisconsin. So, kind of that lacrosse Wisconsin area. Okay. Awesome. 
Beautiful, Eric. Well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey through forestry thus far? Yeah, you bet. Um, kind of got a unique start in knowing what I wanted to do. So I was in high school. It's actually uh, going through the Boy Scouts, earned my Eagle Scout early and uh, was sitting there trying to figure out what to do next. And I was at summer camp, spent the whole week at the, the nature center and took forestry and took a bunch of other stuff and it just kind of clicked. And so I met with one of the county foresters in the town I grew up in, had a good chat with him and just pointed the arrow right at Stevens point. It was close enough, but far enough away from home that, you know, you get that little break from mom and dad. Um, had a really good experience there. Um, met my wife, uh, month into freshman year so i mean oh. it was it was a pretty quick uh pretty quick wow turnaround on that front so it was pretty cool and um, you worked in forestry too yeah i i i earned a degree in forest administration and utilization so that was very heavy into the business side of forestry um came with a business major we spent time in the wood products lab so we were running the wood miser portable sawmill learning kind of the ins and outs of milling and production that kind of stuff. And so it really set me up for a career on the industry side of things. And that's where I ultimately ended up to start with. Uh, I took a job in Indiana working for a company, Pike Lumber Company, uh, great company, three sawmills in Indiana. I was a timber buyer procurement forester for them for a couple of years, found myself coming back to Wisconsin quite a bit. So Eventually, we, we looked for an opportunity up here and had the chance to come work for a big sawmill um, near Fountain City. And so I did that for a few years and ultimately set off on my own path to start the consulting company that I did in uh, 2019. Pretty amazing. Corey, you never told me that uh, Stevens Point had a sawmill. Well, they, I, I wasn't allowed to go near it, I'm sure. <laughs> You were not in that curriculum, so you couldn't touch it. It, it, it well, no, I because I, I, I guess I could have forestry. So I, I had a couple different forestry majors. I didn't have uh, administration. Uh, Eric's much smarter than myself, but yeah, no. Point has all the things. They have a a, a pulp. I believe they even have a pulp uh, facility, at, or they did at the time. Yeah, at the at the time they did. I don't, I'm not sure if it's still there or not, but they do have a paper science program. I think they're trying to revive that. Okay, it's like it's like a, it's like a Dunder Mifflin in in North Central <laughs> Wisconsin that they're they're trying to bring this pulp uh, paper mill back together. But, yeah. Eric and I actually actually met uh, probably outside of class. We, we don't need to talk about that tonight, but uh, hopping fences, I believe. Yes, at yes. At Something least, to that effect. <laughs> at least really wooden fences. Sure, we'll call it, we'll call yeah. it that. Yeah. Yeah. Testing them for durability. Yeah, that that's right. So, Eric, what do you you said you want? You're you're kind of off on your own, but still in the forestry discipline, still in that forest management and, and consulting discipline. Yes. Can, yeah. can so, you tell us about legacy forest management? What what is it? What do you do? Sure, you bet. So, I am what's considered a consulting forester. Um, my primary focus is to work with directly for landowners. So, we're working on their behalf as their agent to set up timber sales. You know mark the trees, market the wood, 
um, establish that sale, put together the contracts, oversee the projects, that sort of that sort of work. Um, and then the other side of the business is forest management planning. So here in Wisconsin, we have what's called the MFL, the Managed Forest Law Program, which is an optional program for landowners to enroll in. Uh, they work with certified plan writers like myself to put together management plans that span 25 or 50 years. And uh, in those plans, we prescribe certain timber treatments, timber stand improvement, logging, um, tree planting, all that kind of stuff goes into it. It's a pretty comprehensive plan. And in return, when they sign up for that program, they get a significant reduction in their property taxes. So wow. it's a win-win for everybody. That's kind of interesting. And we've had a guest out of the past that, you know, part of that, I you know a lot of homeowners actually purchase their, 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 their 40 or their 80, their 120 for deer, deer hunting. So when you're out there, is that always in the mindset that wildlife management also when you're doing harvest and. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a very all encompassing uh, way of looking at things. I would say a majority of our clients are landowners who enjoy to hunt. You know, that's the primary reason they have that 40 or 80. If we get into the land ownerships with a little bit bigger tracks, then they're more focused on timber management, production value. But it seems like a majority of those landowners with that 40 to 200 acres or so, um, their focus is, is wildlife habitat. And so we always have to keep that in the back of our mind and balance you know, what is true forestry and what is, you know, the landowner's objective and figure out where, where we kind of meet in the middle. Um, specifically with whitetail habitat, it's, it's almost hand in hand. The, the, the timber harvesting process is a huge benefit to wildlife deer habitat. Yeah. You know, we, um, you know, then when you're, when you're, one thing that popped in my mind is that when you're looking at a, a track or a, a property, you know, when you're gearing it for harvest, there's got to be, there's got to be tracks that you're managing that are probably 10, 15 years out to harvest. You know, look at the age of that, the, the forest before they're valuable timber. So do you got, do you have long-term customers too, that your forest health, you're in there annually, maintaining, you know, look at everything, keeping everything on track, uh, measuring trees, making sure there's no, no uh, pitch mass bore or some goofy bug going in there and killing all the trees before you can harvest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's always been the, the intent from day one when I started this company was that we want to work for people who want to work with us long-term. Um, you know, we're, we're like your, your doctor for your forest, right? We want to be there day in and day out. If something pops up, give us a call. Um, we look at things like invasive species, you know, bugs, diseases, that kind of stuff. And then we're also looking at how old is this timber and what are the best management practices moving forward based on what you guys want to achieve. So absolutely. Um, okay. Working with landowners. Well, you, you got to believe a big part about what you're doing, Eric, is, is not just working with them, but it's educating them. You know, t- talking about yes. the succession of a stand, you know, a maple stand isn't always going to be a maple stand, right? So how do you, well, how do you, it's how do you usually uh, an oak stand isn't always going to be an oak stand. It's more likely going to become a maple stand. We have well, that discussion an awful lot. Um, a lot of landowners are, are they have this beautiful stand of oak 
Uh, but right now we're seeing a transition based off past management practices and current management practices where, you know, those big, beautiful oak stands are slowly converting to maple or central hardwoods mixture. And so we got to figure out, okay, are you okay with that? Or do we want to try and fight it and get oak back? Interesting. Yeah, that, that's crazy. That's awesome. So yeah, it- I would say a big part of our job is educating and teaching people, you know, this is what you have and, and these are your options. And if you do this, this is the result. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have you come up to our, our track. We got uh, between uh, my uncle and I, there's 200 acres up there. And my uncle jumped the gun and had all the red pines taken out. And I, he was like, he was thinking about thinning them. And I went up there one day and on his 80, I think he probably took 60 of it and just took it down, cashed it in. And uh, I was devastated. We could have took every other row out, could have done something, but uh, he needed a lot of cash and he got paid well for it. Don't get me wrong. But man, did that leave a big hole in the property? And it's got to be seven, eight years now. We finally got natural regen coming up where scrub oaks are popping up and the deer starting to move back in. But man, I don't know. I don't know. Because I tried to have him get a, a, a forester like yourself to do it over a period of time. But some dude walked in there and offered him a, they would go to own up and down the road and they offered him a shit, almost like cash. Uh, here we need it. Here's wham. And he had this big wad of cash in front of him. He's like, take them all. <laughs> and he did. It was horrible, man. It was terrible. Well, and those are always the conversations that you have to have with landowners, right? I mean, when you have multiple stakeholders, I mean, I don't know if this is part of, you know, if you own part of this property or if it's just his and you guys hunt there. Um, but that's definitely a, a key factor is how many stakeholders are involved and what's everybody's opinion. Right. Yeah. One guy might think, Hey, let's clear cut it. Let's regenerate it. Another guy thinks, you know, those are beautiful trees. I like the aesthetic of it or, you know, vice versa. We have all of these competing goals and objectives and we have to figure out a good way for everyone to move forward. Yeah. That's part of just being that forester. You got to be able to listen. (laughs) Yeah. It was kind of sad, but you know what? And it happens on a day to day. Like it's coming back. Uh, part of that regen right now is, like I said, it's it's getting nice and thick, and the deer love it. Can't hunt it for God's sakes because you can't even walk through it, but the deer love it. So I guess it's holding on the property. So they're holding them. Well, and I'd I'd be curious too, Joe. You, you just talked about something big, and I know Eric, you, you're big into um, right managing the forest. I, and I would imagine a lot of people are finding you or coming to you with uh, with with help setting up a timber sale, for instance. So what, what do people expect when they're setting up a timber sale? And keep in mind, a lot of our listeners are more of the traditional, um, or pardon me, more of the urban forestry where, you know, hey, it's an oak, we're climbing and pruning. But what are these homeowners looking for? What are you looking for as you're setting up a timber sale? So really, it comes down to the economics of it, right? Um, when you're setting up and establishing a timber sale, realistically, it needs to be about 20 acres or more in size before it's economical for someone like myself to come in there and really establish that sale and market it and bring it, bring it to these guys. Um, so generally 20 acres or more um, right now, we've got some interesting market conditions. So I'm not sure if you've heard, but there was a big mill in Wisconsin Rapids 
that did close in 2020 and they consumed a lot of that pulp material. And so we've kind of had to shift what we're doing and focus on a little bit larger material because we just don't have as much capacity for that small pulp wood. And so it's changed how we're, how we're marketing timber sales and what we're able to really get to market and sell. So usually our projects are 20 acres or more, got mostly saw logs, we've got some bolt material. So bolts are like, I just say miniature saw logs, um, you know, seven to eight inches on the small end up to about 11 inches and they make pallet wood, lump flooring, that kind of stuff, just low end wood products. Um, but yeah, generally we're looking at saw logs, bolts. We're going to go through with a mixture of prescriptions. Some people are at the end of the rotation age. So those trees are ready to go. So we're looking at more like clear cuts, coppice regeneration cuts and aspen, um, you know, in the right stand, right opportunity, we can do a shelter wood to try and get a majority of that crown cover taken off and allow some sunlight to reach that forest floor, get some nice, healthy, advanced regeneration, some trees up to about that head height, just above the deer browse line. Um, and then we'll come in five, seven years after the fact, take the rest of them off and essentially a two-stage clear cut. Um, so we also do a lot of thinnings oh, and we do the single tree selection. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of options. It really just, it depends on what's there and what that landowner wants to see. Well, and it's, it's crazy to hear all these terms that I haven't, I haven't heard in 12, 15 years, whatever it's been. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, but, but it's interesting also to hear that, that most of the, most of the timber, most of the wood harvest that you're talking about is going towards either, you know, kind of that pulp wood or like, like pallets and, 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 and that kind of thing. Um, Cause you always hear, or we, Joe and I always, always hear with people who are trying to reuse wood and they're, you know, they're talking like a couple of like 12 foot logs, maple or walnut or whatever. And they're, they're highly prized and they're going for a couple hundred bucks a slab. Oh yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we sell a lot of saw timber. Um, oh. That is be, that would be the highest value product. What I was saying, I guess is what I was getting to is, is with the pulp mill closure, we've had to shift away from more of the smaller diameter stuff. And we are seeing more saw logs, bolt logs, that kind of stuff that we're, okay. that we're marketing. That's pretty but cool. yeah, absolutely. I mean, we sell a lot of red Oak, white Oak is hot. Walnut is just super valuable. Um, yeah, I, I got, one, I got really a Walnut valuable. question for you in a minute, <laughs> but uh, you know what I, you hear a lot in my neck of the woods. Yeah. We buy this 40, um, we'll get it all logged off. It'll pay for itself. And when we have a, another 40 acres for free, would you recommend that we would contact a forester like yourself to cruise and walk it to see, to get an estimate of the value before you would purchase a tract of land, but that was your mindset. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be a good idea. Um, what you'll find in this state is most of us are very, uh, very busy. And so that typically doesn't work the best for, for most of our schedules. So say, say you're going to look at this 40 and it's on the market, right? The way the market is right now, I mean, that thing's sold in a week. I think just boom, boom, boom. And so even if you gave me a call today, said, Hey, I want to put an offer in on this thing. Realistically, could I get there? Probably not. 
But yeah, if it's more of a, a long-term thing or it's not on the market or, you know, Uncle Joe <laughs> is selling it and you just want to get some sense of what's there, absolutely. I think everybody should do that. Yeah. But uh, back to the walnut question. Now, I'm going to pick your brain. <laughs> sure. I tell you, Corey, this happens to us every almost weekly. Uh, urban forestry. Dude's got a black walnut in the backyard. How much will you pay me to take it down? They all think that these black walnut logs in their backyard are worth a thousand and thousands of dollars. And uh, every single one of them that I've taken down, not for not to pay the homeowner, they've always had defects in the wood. Was I took one down for my chiropractor thinking I was going to make some shit out of it, and uh, it was rotten to the core. I couldn't bode like a banana. I couldn't get shit out of it. But there's this urban legend that some of these trees in these urban backyards are worth gold. Well, if you can tell me how many nails are in it, that's it. Right. Well, obviously the first four <laughs> are crap, and that's probably the straightest part. Right. That's where your money is. Usually in a walnut tree, it's going to be in that butt cut. And, uh, you know, if it's been in a yard and it's finally time to cut it down, it's probably 80, 90 years old. Yeah. You know, and it's been in someone's backyard for that long. So how many different generations have grown up around that tree and spiked it and popped up in it and <laughs> built well, forts in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we, I guess you know what came to my mind, Corey, if someone wants to take that oak black walnut done, we should have a metal detector in our truck for forestry. It's a great idea. And you wave it by there and beep, this area ain't worth shit. Well, and I, that's a, that's a great, that's a great point because, and it's also, it's, it's not only is it cosmetic, but it's a hazard, right? It's a hazard for whoever is trying to cut into that wood and they hit a bolt or <laughs> nails or whatever, uh, concrete. When I was living back in, in Minnesota, I remember talking to some people who actually filled cavities of their trees with, with some concrete because, uh, they were told to do it by a tree person. Uh, so it, it's, it's kind of goofy, but it's also subjective. So Eric's talking about, you know, crook in a log and sweep in a log. And you were talking about how the wood's not straight or anything. So many homeowners, you know, they just don't, they, they can't see it from, from, you know, A to B. It's just, they only see the end result and they see what's in their backyard and they think, Hey, it's worth a million bucks. Well, and, yeah. and another thing too, with, with yard trees, at least this is my perspective from a, from a woods guy looking in is that most of these yard trees aren't growing where they typically would grow in the woods, right? The site isn't proper. No. Sometimes a really big, beautiful walnut tree will grow in someone's yard, but nine times out of 10, like eight, 10 feet up, you get that first set of branches and then it starts to grow out because it was open grown and we're just, it's not a, a not a lumber tree. Yeah. You can't get nothing out of it. That's and good. so there's the, there's like the, the farm to table guys, the guys who do the local, you know, urban forestry logger, uh, uh, sawmilling, you know, those guys are, are our market, but they're not in every city. They're not in every town. Um, and they're in the same boat. They don't know what they're getting into. Um, you know, they saw into that log and they throw three, three blades that yeah, walks not worth your, much lost your ass yeah i'm a i volunteer for a historic sawmill in hartwick pines in grayling michigan now it's an old steam run enterprise sawmill 
It takes oh, cool. like 10 guys to run it. They got the old steam locomotive. And we actually hit in a forest tree uh, a, a, a nail or not a nail, screw, a hardened, like it, was, it must have came from a campsite or a campground nearby. But someone actually put screws in it to hold a rope or the clothing line. Well, they compartmentalized and it was in that tree. So that 60 inch blade has 75 carbide teeth in it. And I think that little itty bitty hardened screw probably took off 30 of them so fast that it was amazing. And it put the saw down for almost three hours to replace those because you got to replace them by hand. Yeah. Now that's just that. That's a big saw blade. Imagine someone's band saw blade hitting that. Yeah. They explode. Yeah, they oh. pop and it, <laughs> they just come on gun and they're done. And they're just, that's a hazard. That's dangerous. Oh yeah. yeah, it happens so fast too. We would when I was working for the sawmill, we would occasionally buy trees from arboriculturalists. Um, you know, they'd bring or they'd lay them out in their in their yard and we'd come look at them. But we would do that. We'd we go over them with a metal detector, um, have them buck them up right to the lengths we want, and not pay nearly as much as we would had it come right out of the woods. Yeah. What's that working in the sawmill? What's the strangest thing you guys ever ran into inside of a tree? I never worked in the sawmill. I worked for the sawmill buying the timber, but sawmills are an interesting, interesting part of the industry. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're obviously the things that get it done and get wood to market, you know? Um, did did you? Oops, sorry. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, were you were you were we in the same class where we actually went to a sawmill and it had like a computer program and it was taking pictures of the logs and it would like figure out exactly like this log will contain four two by fours, a two by six, and a two by two, and, and it yeah, just absolutely, that that technology is out there. Uh, most of these highly efficient sawmills have have a computer system. The Sawyer, you know, you, you, they scan the log as it comes in. The, the Sawyer's got it on the deck. He's got lasers the thing's mostly running itself um, with his discretion to say, no, I don't, I don't, something's weird with that. I'm going to, I'm going to change it, but yeah, that technology is there for sure. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, that's, that's cool. Tr- traditional forestry, you know, kind of on, on the move, on the up and up. Um, Eric, as we're, as we're wrapping up tonight's conversation, if, as you're looking back on your career and kind of the direction you've gone and everything you've seen, if you could look at, at somebody who's going to school, who's going to UW-Stevens Point or, you know, just curious about what they should do, what advice would you give them about traditional forestry and, and forest consulting? You know, I'd say take the jobs where you can get them. Um, think about where you want to be in five, ten years. And, and just take the steps you need to take to get there. Learn the things that you need to learn. Um, I would never advise someone to go to school and be a consultant right off the bat. There's just so much you just don't know. Good point. Um, I had it in the back of my mind when I graduated. I kind of wanted to be on this path, but I knew that I needed the procurement background. So I did that. Um, I learned a lot along the way as far as building relationships with landowners and understanding the logistics of it all, how the sawmills work, how to coordinate trucks, 
how to deal with bad weather. I mean, just all of the variables, everything gets thrown at you on the procurement side. And I would say that was invaluable for where I'm at today. Um, it really brings a lot to my skill set when I'm working with a landowner, um, especially with landowners who've never, never done a timber sale before. You know, one of the first things I say to them is, have you ever done this before? Do you understand how messy it's going to be? Yeah. <laughs> you have to have those hard conversations with people up front because it's, it may look like a park today, but if we're going to do true management in that, in that woodlot, it's not going to look like that. It will again, but the immediate result is holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I, you know, if I'm talking to anybody coming out of, or going into school or coming out of school, it's just that, you know, what, take some jobs that maybe you don't think are the best fit. You're probably going to learn something. Yeah, if you're open to it. Yeah. That's gold. I got, I got one last question for me, Eric. How is the timber industry doing right now? Is it strong? I would say it's mixed results right now. Um, it- specifically here in Wisconsin, just because of the mill closures that we've had, that pulp market's been tough to okay, tough to come come around to. But I think we're getting there. We're adapting. Um, our saw our saw log markets are good. They're stable. They're not skyrocketing by any means, but they're steady. They're stable. Um, there's a lot of demand for saw timber. Okay. Um, I just bring that up. We're getting a little bit of a pinch with, with fuel prices right now. Yeah. Um, adds up, you know, that's, that's a little bit more of a pinch than anything, but hopefully that's temporary and we're going to start to see some, some relief, some relief there. Sure. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time out tonight to meet up with us. Um, I certainly appreciate it. I think I was born I should have been a dirt forester, but I got the urban side instead and I'm going to have to retire here, but. Well, know. I tell you what, Joe, we're hiring. So <laughs> if you're looking for a job in Wisconsin, give me a shout, man. <laughs> it might happen. It might happen. Thanks so much, Eric, for being on. You bet. All right, Eric, best, best of luck to you. Thanks again for coming on and sharing your knowledge. Thanks guys. Hey, great topic today. Yes. And lots of good information. Yeah. Probably one of our best yet. If you enjoyed the podcast, or have topics you would like to discuss, please send them to discoveringforestry at gmail.com. And please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Joe. And I'm Corey. Signing Signing out. out.